Welcome to episode five of Elise's Point podcast. I'm your host, Elise Squirrel, PhD candidate, Canadian mental performance consultant, and sport karate athlete. Each week, I present a monologue of different topics that focus on point sparring aspects of sport karate. I want to stress that although each episode stands alone, this podcast should really be listened to as a whole. This project is meant to be informative, thought-provoking, and cause reflection. Keep in mind that some of the content is based on my observations and experiences from years of training and competing as a competitive athlete in sport karate. This means that it doesn't necessarily pertain or is applicable to every stakeholder within the sport. The overall goal is to promote a safe, healthy, and rational sport structure for future sport karate athletes. So let's start. Episode five, female spars, great athletes, even without the rivalries. It is a topic that I care deeply about. And it is a topic that increasingly gets ignored. Ironically, if I talk about it, it sounds like I'm complaining as a competitor and in general, or calling males in the sport sexist. I'd like to note that women can be sexists too. However, this is less about me and more about what the sport can do to abandon its sexist attitudes in order to benefit everyone. This portion is dedicated to females in our sport. Some background. Women have always had to navigate where their place in sport is. Sport has always been used as a tool to reinforce gender order, masculinity, and femininity ideals. But it should be noted that the idea of gender is a social construction that differs through different time periods, class, and regions. This might be due to the perceived role that women are born into, the caretaker. It might also be because of the way that women's bodies are interpreted. Women's bodies are a foreign concept to most men. But neither of these things should dictate what women can and are allowed to do. In modern Western culture, aka North American culture, Medical science has always presented the female body as fragile, muscles being viewed as detrimental to women's health, and overall, just emphasizing women being the weaker sex who are incapable of the same feats as men. For instance, in the late 19th century, early 20th century, women were discouraged to ride bicycles because it was believed that it would damage their childbearing parts. Uterine displacement was the medical term used to classify that concern. Yet there was no medical evidence to justify the claim. 
you might think that as a society, we have progressed from that. Women can ride bicycles all the time. Women can play any sport they want. But women have always had to fight for their right to participate and compete in sport because women in sport has never been something that just is. It is an ongoing issue. Let me explain. Throughout time, there has been ongoing debates on limiting female participation to feminine-appropriate sports, such as gymnastics, swimming, fencing, and tennis. Why were these deemed as female-appropriate? Because they showcase traditional gender norms that portray elegance, gentleness, and beauty. We can still see these patterns continuing to occur today through females being labeled as a man and having their gender and sexuality put into question if they play a sport and don't demonstrate gentle or elegant characteristics. But there have been powerful females in sport who have emerged and who have fought against structures that sustain these constructed ideas about female athletes. For example, women were banned from the Boston Marathon. It was assumed women were too weak to complete it. So what happened? In 1967, that's only 55 years ago, a 20-year-old K.V. Switzer, a.k.a. Catherine Switzer, trained, ran, and finished the Boston Marathon despite the race officials who tried to physically stop her. This included forcefully trying to grab onto her and drag her out of the race. Or how about when two young sisters, Venus and Serena Williams, who emerged onto the tennis scene, shaking the idea of what female bodies are and what they can do, and completely changing the game. Strong, muscular, sweaty, still feminine, and powerful athletes. You might be wondering, what does any of this have to do with sport karate? In sport, and especially sport karate, we can see how gender is reinforced by the way in which gender is encouraged to participate. Fighting, and any contact sport, is viewed as a very masculine quality. Females are supposed to be gentle. They aren't supposed to fight, apparently. But just because it does not meet the constructed idea of what traditionally feminine is, does not mean that the sport is for men. And unsurprisingly, there is a huge dropout rate for females in sport karate. Why? We need to talk about this. First of all, let's recognize that women's bodies are different than men's. There are different things that affect women's performance and also the way that they can be developed as fighters. It is very rare for women to have a point sparer who's athletic at 200 pounds, where with men, 
it is more common for a 200 plus pound athletic point sparrer to be light on their feet and all muscle. Women fighters need to be developed and trained differently. Find this hilarious or not, because I'm advocating for equality, and I'm still advocating here, but in order to keep females in the sport, you have to train them differently. I don't think many coaches in sport karate know how to do this. Many women point spars train with men because there are not enough women to train with. And unless they find people who are similar weights and sizes, they are fighting heavier forces. Without multiple strategies, this would cause anyone to retire early out of frustration as well as the potential for long-term injuries. I think this should be common sense in sport, but for some reason, it's not. But by training females differently, it does not mean make training sessions easy, and it does not mean women are not capable of working hard. It means that in order to harvest the strengths of women's skills, you have to know where they flourish. Ask yourself, how is women fighting different? Where are their strengths? Another example. In the middle of a woman's athletic career, she could have children. Think about it. You train all your life for your sport, and then you decide to take nine months of your life or more and dedicate it to something else or it would not survive. And then get back into fighting shape while balancing motherhood among other responsibilities. That's a lot of physical and mental toughness. That's a lot of adapting to the changes your body has made. A totally different body at this point. And that's a lot of relearning or adapting to what your body can do. All of this is hard. Many people don't like taking a couple of months off for an injury. But it does not mean that a women's sport karate career has to be over. Or that it is impossible for them to be a high-performing athlete again. There are several women, point fighters, and athletes right now who have proven that this can be done. None of this is a bad thing, but it should demonstrate how bodies are unique, which makes all point sparring divisions, genders and weights, much different. But just because the game is different for women fighters does not mean that their divisions are lesser in skill. We have to appreciate it all for what they are and stop comparing. And that starts by acknowledging that women divisions are competitive, women divisions are worth watching, and women spars are worth learning from. Investing in females. An argument can be made that sport karate does not invest in their female fighters, meaning promote them, develop them, encourage them. 
there are less opportunities given to women in sport karate. The easiest example to give is there is less prize money given to females at tournaments. This is a big deal. The pay difference is the perception of worth that sport karate gives to its female athletes. You pay less because you think it is worth less. Even if that's not the intention, it is definitely the message and communicates that female fighters are not of equal worth. You might be thinking, but we don't get as many female competitors, so there's less money being produced from these divisions. Okay, so how do we retain female fighters? What is happening that causes the dropout rate of female fighters? Does anyone even care that there aren't many female fighters? If it's not the prize money, which honestly doesn't seem like a long-term solution, then what is it? I would like to mention, it has been exhausting sitting through this pandemic and witnessing a range of virtual events being offered and rarely having any women promoted in them. Are women fighters not interested in doing this? Or are there no opportunities being given? These are things that I'm wondering. In addition, it always seems like female fighters have to prove themselves. That is, not just win a tournament, but win all the tournaments in one year in order to be deemed as a worthy investment. With any developing athlete, time and support are required. Time for progressing and testing their skill before they are compared to others and support, be it through financial or positive recognition, to keep interest in pursuing the sport. It could also mean females supporting other females in the sport, which goes against a learned behavior. Wait, aren't opponents supposed to hate each other? By supporting each other, I don't mean wanting to win less. There is a difference between hate and respect. And this takes collective effort versus the usual every person for themselves. You do not have to hate someone to beat someone. This is difficult, but not impossible. These are things that are lacking with many developing female athletes. Sport is for everyone. It is not solely a female issue. That is, Catherine Switzer, the first official female to run the Boston Marathon, could not have finished the marathon without having the surrounding support of men to stop officials and other men from physically taking her out of the race. It comes down to, if competitors, in this case female competitors, don't see a future or long-term goal, then what's the point in continuing?
especially when there are much easier things to do that don't involve putting one's body on the line in such an obvious way. I would like to end the podcast with a question. What actions have you done to encourage female participation in point sparring? Thank you for taking the time and listening to Elise's Point. Check in every Monday so you don't miss any episodes. Does this topic resonate with you? Have any thoughts? Anything that came up while you were listening? I would love to hear about them. Please leave a comment on Elise's Point Facebook page. I will talk to you next week. The references to this information are included in the description of this episode. Music by Atch. I would also like to give a shout out to Oliver for letting me share his recording space.